This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. Hey, good morning, C3. It is great to see you this morning, especially those of you that are here for the very first time. Thank you for choosing to hang out with us this morning. We are thrilled that you're here, and I want you to know if it is your first time, you really do matter to us in the life of C3. In fact, your future is our focus. It's why we exist. We're in a study going through the book of Romans, verse by verse. The book of Romans, the reason we're doing this is it's such an incredible book that teaches us not only what we should believe, but why we should believe it. And today, today I want to share a story with you from Scripture that's one you may not have ever heard. In fact, I didn't even know this story until I was an adult. I didn't know it was there. This is not a story they taught us in Sunday school when I was a kid growing up. This is not something that was preached about in church, but it's this passage in scripture. And you you just, you got to know about this because I'm wondering as we hit the end of Romans 13, we've been in Romans for about 25 weeks, the end of Romans 13, I'm wondering if Acts chapter 19 is what was on the Apostle Paul's mind, inspired by the Spirit of God, writing the Word of God. It's all the Word of God, but he wrote it through Paul. I wonder if Acts 19 is what he was thinking about, because in Acts 19, it's a story that changes everything. And it shows us where church changes everything. Acts 19, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there, for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Now, those two words, the way, that is what Christ followers or Christians were called before they were called Christians. They, they were called people of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so they were known as people of the way, and some people, some people were not buying what Paul was saying. His message was simple, but notice, so Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. The lecture hall of Tyrannus, lecture halls, in that custom, in that culture, were often named after the owner, the owner's name literally being tyrant. It's the first time we find out about this word in history. This is the first time it's used in this sense, tyrant. So could it be that this guy who was a tyrant, we don't know much about him, started coming to the synagogue, and during that three months as Paul was communicating a simple story, Paul Paul was saying this, I'm concerned that you've missed Jesus. And I know what that's like because I missed Jesus. I was among the highest educated, graduated top of my class, could speak multiple languages, the the most promoted lawyer in the organization. I was killing it, doing everything. In fact, I was the guy 
that was hired by the Jewish ruling council. I was the guy that would go around and stomp out Christianity and get rid of people that believed in this stuff. And I thought I was doing it because I loved God. And I wrapped my arms around the Old Testament and I thought Jesus is not the Messiah. And so in my pursuit of trying to love God and trying to do the right thing, I missed Jesus. And who better to tell people, hey, you've missed Jesus than somebody who missed Jesus. And I wonder if Tyrant kept hearing this message. And somehow, not immediately, but over time, his heart softened. Until finally, after three months, where there's some people that are just saying, hey, we're not buying it, and essentially the church splits, and Paul's got to go somewhere else. I wonder if Tyrant came up to him and said, hey, I'm new to this whole thing, but I've been listening, and I feel like God's doing something in my life, and I don't have much, but I got a building. And if you want to use it to have church every day, go ahead. Because also in that culture at that time, the city is Ephesus. It's the fourth largest city in the entire Roman Empire. This is a city that was a powerful city. This is a city full of people. And this is the eastern gateway to the rest of the world. Everybody came through Ephesus. It's a port city. Business is happening here like nobody's business. It is on fire what's taking place. But the thing about Ephesus, Ephesus was a city of the dark arts a city where there was a lot of superstition, a city that believed in black magic. This was a place where if you wanted your crops to grow, you could go to one of the shops and buy a little trinket and bury it in your field and your crops are going to grow. Or if there's somebody that you don't like, you could buy a little trinket and bury it in their field and it would curse their field. There, There are things you could buy to put under your pillow at night so you would sleep better and become healthier and wealthier over time. They bought into all of that and in the busyness of all of that, They took a break every day. They would work until 11 o'clock and then find a place to rest somewhere probably in the shade until 4 o'clock. So you worked from early in the morning until 11 and then you went back to work at 4 o'clock. So from 11 to 4, Paul is lecturing in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. He goes to where tyrants rule and he says, let me tell you about the Jesus that you missed. And then the next four words, God did extraordinary miracles, extraordinary, beyond natural, what's not typically seen, unusual. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. (laughs) Hang on. Do you really believe that Paul's handkerchief, wiping sweater, coughing into, not sure what he did. I just know until 11 o'clock in the morning, he was making tents. He was a tent maker. And then at four o'clock, he'd be back at his job. And you imagine he's, he's teaching every day about how to know God in a personal way. And Buzz is going all around town. You, you got to go hear him. How long are you in town for? I know it's a business trip. How long are you here for? Six days. Six days. If you have some time one afternoon, you need to go down to Tyrannus' lecture hall. You got to hear this guy, Paul. You, you, you owe it to yourself to just stop by and listen. But because of the response and because of what was happening and the crowds that were growing and the lives that were being changed, Maybe there was a day where somebody came by about 9 o'clock in the morning. It's not 11 o'clock yet, and Paul's at his job. He's making tents. And somebody comes by at 9 o'clock and says, Hey, I don't know if you heard, Lulabelle's sick. And Paul's like, Who's Lulabelle? She lives, 
she lives, if, if you go up just past where the river turns and turn right and you go down about two blocks, the place on the left there, she, she has a, a pink flamingo in her yard because she really would like to live in Florida. But she, she's right there in that spot and she's sick. You know, Lulabelle, I, I can't place her. Lulabelle, the one that's going to invent bluebell ice cream, you got to save her. I mean, she's sick. Come on, you got to leave your job and come with me. I can't leave my job. If I leave my job, I don't get paid. Like, you, you can't just leave your job to go pray for people. And so I wonder if in that moment he thinks, oh, take, take my Under Armour sweatband, because I don't see Paul as a Nike guy. I see him as an Under Armour guy, protect, protect his house. I think that's who Paul is. And so he hands him his headband. They take it to Lulabelle, and she's healed, and we have Bluebell ice cream. Now, that's not technically true at all. I just kind of made that up. But the point is, some reason, somehow, he couldn't get to everybody, and so they take his handkerchief and touch somebody, and they get healed. The next day, they come, hey, so-and-so sick. Take my apron. They lay it on him. It heals him. And you might be thinking, do you, do you really believe that happened? I mean, <laughs> a handkerchief, apron, people are getting healed, demons are being driven out. You really believe that? Yeah. I just find that hard to believe. Listen, if you find that hard to believe, I got a lot of stuff in here you're going to have a hard time believing. Uh, but, but think about this. If God really is God, and he wants to use a handkerchief or an apron to heal somebody, can he do it? Like if God is God, if God is all-powerful, does he not have the ability to do whatever he'd like to do, however he would like to do it? So part of it for me is I just I believe God's God, and so if he wants to do it like that, cool beans, man. That, that's how he did it. That's awesome. We're not going to hand out any of my handkerchiefs. You wouldn't want that junk. But in this situation... It healed people. God did extraordinary miracles. It's also important to understand, this is the only time we read this happening in all of Scripture. See, if we're not careful, we can start to believe because God did something that way then, he's got to do it that way now. We can start to chase formulas instead of the Father. And we can start to believe, oh, it's got to happen. It's not going to happen unless you have a handkerchief. It can't happen unless you got an apron. No, it's not going to happen, and it can't happen if you don't have God. That's all you need. How he does it is up to him. Now, notice verse, verse 13. Verse 13. You, you've never heard this. Most of you, you've never heard this story, and I can't wait. I can't wait. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Paul, God is using him in extraordinary ways. Extraordinary miracles are taking place. And there's some other people that think, we want in on that. He's getting a lot of attention. Let's start going around to people that are sick and telling them, in the name of Jesus, the guy Paul preaches about, you can be healed. Let, let, let's get in on this game a little bit. We want some of the attention. So some of the Jews went around driving out evil spirits. They tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva... That's just a cool name. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day an evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who the fat are you? They didn't say the fat, but it was an intense moment. And then, then, <laughs> no, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, he gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. 
When I was growing up in church, we didn't color those pictures. There, were no, that didn't, there was no flannel graph, seven naked men running. It didn't happen. Like they left this part out. But it's in the Bible. Now notice what happens at this. I mean, seven guys come into town. Hey, we want in on Paul's action. We want to do what Paul does. And, and, and they come, and I picture, I picture it like it's a Western movie. I grew up in Texas, so there's seven guys walking down the street, and everybody's running inside because it's, it's the seven sons of Sceva, whatever that means. And the dust is coming up, and they find this out. We're going in there, and we're going to take care of this demon-possessed guy. Hey, in the name of Jesus. And he beats the crap a doodle do out of them. It means just tossing around the name of Jesus and acting like you know him doesn't help you at all. It means if you're living a counterfeit faith, hey, I know about Jesus. I know the guy C3 talks about. I know some people that believe in Jesus. Hey, that Jesus. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. Why? And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, about, about $100,000. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. On that day, people stopped playing games with the name of Jesus. Notice the phrase in, in the passage we just read, many of those who believed, they believed, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I've given my life to Jesus. I've invited Jesus to come into my life. I believe he died for my sins. Many of those who believed now, now came and openly confessed. These were people who said, I, I believe the truth in my mind but I was playing a game with my faith in my life. These were believers who had not taken their faith seriously. There's junk in my life. I've been living a game. Christianity is a label I wear, not a lifestyle that I live. Many of those who believed now, something changed. And what's interesting to me, the passage says that what changed them, what happened to them, didn't happen at church. It was when they got home. They took what happened at church and in processing it, it caused them to go home and do something with it. I wonder how much we miss in life where we spend time in church and God creates a moment and when we walk out the doors, the moment dies. I wonder how many moments are created by God that he desires to use that moment to create a momentum in our lives to drive us closer to Jesus and to live for him in a way that his name is held in high honor in our lives. Many of those who believed now. Then there's, there's another phrase. They grew in power. They grew in power. This happens, word spreads, something happens at church, people go home and they're talking about it. It causes them to do something about what they've heard. And they grew in power. I don't know if they grew numerically or not. I don't know. There are other places in the Bible where God says they grew by 5,000 in one day or 3,000 were added to their number. I don't know. But, but on this occasion, we don't know what happened numerically. We just know spiritually they grew in power. So here's the question. And see, I got to be real honest with you. 
I've been asking myself this question all week. This has been for me one of the most personally convicting messages to prepare. See, I, I know I'm up here talking, but if I could be real honest, I'm sitting with you. I'm living life with you. I'm evaluating things in my own life. As I look at this passage, they grew in power. I've got to ask you the question, are you somebody that calls yourself a Christ follower, but you're missing the power of God? Is there power of God in your life? Is there power of God in your prayers? Like if you, if you could on a scale of one to 10, rate the power of God in your life, I'm not talking about a feeling. I'm talking about a presence. I'm not talking about an answered prayer. I'm talking about a pattern of answered prayers. I'm talking about a settleness and a peace in the spirit that even when that answer is no, I'm okay with God and I trust him. I'm talking about sensing his presence in those difficult moments and having him inspire the words you're going to speak in the moment you need those words. We're supposed to have the Spirit of God in our lives. But do we? If the Holy Spirit left you, would you even notice? Like what, what would change in your life if the Holy Spirit left? What would change in your marriage? How would your parenting be different than it is today? If you say, I'm a Christ follower, if the Holy Spirit's inside you and he left, what would change? Many who call themselves believers said, we, we have to stop playing games with the name of Jesus. It has to be more than just a word we throw out at the end of a prayer. It has to have more meaning. It has to be held in high honor in such a way in my life that it's more than, I, than just a phrase I comfort myself with saying I'm a Christ follower. It's not a, it's not a group of people I've aligned myself with. It's a God I'm connected to. There are three different kinds of faith. Ultimately three. And two of them don't work. Two of them are the reason that a lot of people say I'm a Christ follower, but there's no power of God in their lives. And by the way, the power of God is not something we're entitled to and just naturally have every single day. And the power of God is something that can be in your life one day and not in your life the next. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we authentically give our lives to Jesus, you're signed, sealed, and delivered. You belong to God. Nothing can change that. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation. You can't do anything to unearn your salvation. But you do have the capacity and the ability to live beneath what God has called you and created you to live. And so you may know him and have a relationship with him, but his power may be something that visits you occasionally when you're really seeking him, but is absent most of the time when you got life and you're large and in charge. Three different kinds of faith. Which kind do you have? The first kind. The first kind is the genie in a bottle God. It's a God who serves me. 
This is the God who sent his son to die for me so that he could answer my prayers and he could bless my life. And because I prayed a prayer and I invited him into my life, and I even show up on Sundays, most Sundays for an hour, and I might even serve occasionally, he owes me. I mean, we don't say it like that, but we live like that and we think like that. We have some of us, and I have on occasion in my life, I must admit, reduced God to a spiritual vending machine where when a problem hits my life, I know where to go, I know what prayers I want to punch into the machine, and I better get the answer that correlates with what I asked for. And if I don't, I'm going to kick the machine, and I'm going to be frustrated with the machine, and I'm going to say things like, it doesn't work, it's broken. And it's the same thing we do spiritually when crisis hits our lives and we go run. I got to go to church Sunday. Things have kind of been sucking pond water in my life. Got to go to church. Got to get my church on before I begin the week. I just, I just feel better. And I got some things I'm going to pray for and I know what buttons to push. And bless God, God, you better. I took time out to go to church. I, I even said I was going to serve. Man, they contacted me and I hadn't followed up with them yet. I'll get to that, God. Life's a little busy right now. But I, I'm going to do it. I promise. I'm, I'm pushing these buttons and you better answer. And when you don't, God's broken. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't hear my prayers. This whole thing is a joke. It's the genie in a bottle, God. Now, here's the danger with having that kind of faith. If that's how you truly think and function about God, you wouldn't label it like that. You just function like that. You'll spend a lot of time in life upset and frustrated with your genie, God. And God, the real God, is perfectly okay when you and I live frustrated because we've believed in a God that does not exist. He will allow that to happen. When you go to him and you put your prayers in for better, and what comes out in your life isn't better, and you think it doesn't work, and you think it's broken, you're going to be angry with him. But think about it. If you've reduced the mighty creator of the universe to a, a genie God, if that's how you live your life, viewing God that way, he's supposed to do what you want, when you want, and he doesn't, then to you, he's not a good God. The problem is, the problem is not God. The problem is what you believe about him and how you practice those beliefs. We call it your faith. See, if, if that's the kind of God you believe in, you believe in a God that doesn't exist. Because when I read the Bible, it tells me that God was not created to please me. I was created to please him. The Bible tells me that there is one God and I am not him. And the Bible tells me that he is in charge and he is more than somebody I just run to when I have a need and I push a prayer button and I get what I want and I throw a fit if I don't. But he wants to have a connected, daily, loving presence in each of our lives. See, maybe some of you, you feel like nobody likes you. Maybe you don't even like you, but God likes you. And he wants to know you in a personal way. There's another kind of faith. There's another kind of faith that doesn't work. The first one is the genie in a bottle, God. The other kind of faith, it doesn't work. People do it. People dive into this belief system. They live their lives this way. They would never call it what I'm about to call it, but it's how they live. And I just wonder, is it, is it you? Because at times in my life, it's been me. This kind of faith is the eternal consultant God. This is the God that will benefit me. 
You take some notes sometimes during a message maybe, or you, you read your Bible, maybe you start serving, you dive into a community group. But when you read the Bible, you're drawn to the things you like. And the things you dislike, you ignore. When God offers you his advice or his counsel, that, that's just who he is. If it'll benefit you, you bring that into your life. I, I, want, I want the consultant God because after all, he's supposed to be able to see the future and I can't. And I want to be blessed, and I want God to take care of me, and I, I want him to make me prosperous. I want him to give me a hope and a future. I want him to be always available so I can consider his opinions about things. But the verses, the verses that speak to God's desire for my integrity or my character, <laughs> that's Sunday talk. That has nothing to do with Monday through Saturday. Pastor, you, you, you don't know what you're talking about. See, in my industry, it's done this way. We cut corners. Everybody does it. Integrity, I understand, I understand, but you, you just don't understand how things happen in the real world and what has to be done if you want to be successful and get ahead. When he speaks to my marriage and I ignore his advice, thinking that I know better than God what loving another human being that's not perfect looks like, We hit the pages where God messes with our sexuality or our sexual identity. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. He's just a consultant. You don't have to do what he says. Just, just listen to his opinions. Take his suggestions under advisement, but you decide for you what's best. His is just one of many opinions. And by the way, you can go online and find thousands of opinions, of opinions that disagree with him. And so he's one opinion. There are a ton that really agree with you and what you want to do. So by all means, just do what you want. God will give you some good suggestions for life. And as long as you like it, do it. If you don't, ignore it. Here's the reality with consultants, though. You hire them. They work for you. And when you like what they say, it's good. And when you agree with their reasoning, hey, here's how you can navigate this. You may not be doing it, but when you agree with it, if you can see it and you think, why not, you're good. But if you disagree, you ignore because the consultant simply works for you. This is why, this is why we can live together if we're not married or have sex if we're not married and it's no big deal. He's just a consultant. He doesn't really understand life in 2022. I mean, when you think about how long he's been around, he's super old right now, probably a little bit delusional, and this was written for a different time and a different place. There's no, there's no way if God could see life in 2022, he would say some of the stuff he said. There's just no way. If God is merely your eternal consultant, and you take part of what he teaches that you like and you apply it, and there's a lot of stuff that you ignore. Let, let me ask you a question. How's that working for you? One thing I can tell you, there's no power of Jesus in your life. How dare you say that? He answered a prayer I prayed two months ago. Oh, I'm not saying God's not gracious. I'm not saying God's not good. 
I'm not saying that God doesn't occasionally come through for you or show you that he loves you. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. God is a gracious, generous, good God who does for all of us more than we deserve. Do not assume that because God answered some prayer a couple of months ago that he's just happy doodle do with you. The God of the universe will not be relegated to your consultant. On that day, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. Have you just been playing a spiritual game? Have you been just sort of rolling the prayer dice, viewing God as a genie in a bottle or a useful consultant, hitting up the vending machine when you need something, but diminishing who God really is in your own life and who he wants to be? And without even realizing it, diminishing and making very small, if not non-existent, his power in your life and in your family and in who you could be. On that day, Acts chapter 19 in the city of Ephesus, they said, I'm done with that. I'm going to hold my God in high honor. I'm going to hold the name of Jesus in high honor over my life. And I'm going to yield my thinking. I'm going to submit my will to his word. He's in charge of my life. I'm not in charge. Three kinds of faith. The genie in the bottle faith. The eternal consultant God. Or the faith that actually works. And this this changes everything. Like when I said, hey... Rate the power of God in your life on a scale of 1 to 10. Unless it's a 10, this changes everything. If you feel like, man, I, I don't sense the presence of God, not in a feeling way, but in a deep abiding way. I, I don't feel like I've got the power of God in my life, in my family. This changes, number three changes everything. The third kind of faith is where God is Lord God. And it's the only real faith. See, on that day, people realized that God was not Lord of their lives. On that day, people realized that that church is something that makes me plan my weekends differently, but they also realized on that day, church makes me plan my life differently. Like, this isn't just playing a game. I'm not going to make occasional what God says is essential if I want to know his power and his presence. I'm not going to diminish who God has called me to be. I'm going to reprioritize my life with what the scripture says should be the priority in my life, and I'm going to let God be God. But, but, today in our culture, the biggest mistake we can make is to tell someone you should not live your desires. You're not supposed to say that. We're supposed to applaud. I mean, isn't it that if we love people, we applaud anything and everything they want to do, whoever you want to be? My responsibility, if I love you, is to make sure you always feel good with all of your choices. And I'm just going to say, you go. You want to do that? It's going to ultimately destroy your marriage. But who am I to tell you not to do that? You want to do that? It's going to jack up your kids because of your selfishness. But who am I to tell you to do that? You want to live like that, act like that? You want to decide you know better than God, who you're created to be, you go, I'm supposed to just say, go, man, go. Nobody's supposed to say, you're not supposed to just live every desire you have. This, this, this is where we blow up our lives and say things like, 
If God didn't want me to do it, he wouldn't have put the desire in me. (laughs) Are you smoking crack? Do you understand we live in a fallen world? Do you understand every single one of us has urges and temptations? If I did everything I ever thought, man, I'd love to do that, I'd kill people on I-4. I would have to start a prison ministry because if I follow my desires, people die. Like the way some people drive, I, I will help you meet. I will lay hands on you in Jesus' name. Like I, I will help you. And so listen, if, can you imagine what kind of world it would be if we all just followed all of our desires? Some of you have desires you don't follow because you don't want to be caught. If we followed all of our desires, are you kidding me? You think because you feel it, God says just go do it? No, that's called spiritual immaturity. You're living like a toddler. You expect better of your kids. Don't, you can't just go up and pop Billy in the mouth at school. You can't do that just because you feel like it. Like we teach our kids that, then we become adults and our desires become our compass rather than the spirit of God. But we're not supposed to tell people we don't follow your desires. But isn't... Isn't that what Jesus said? I think, I think Jesus said, deny yourself. There are some things that you need to say no to you about. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Isn't that, isn't that what he said? Didn't, didn't he tell us not to yield in our lives to the sinful desires that we have sometimes? Isn't the most healthy thing you and I can do if we're playing the long game and we want a life that honors God, we want the name of Christ to be held up high in our lives, we want God's power and presence in our lives and our family, isn't what we're supposed to do to deny the flesh and say no to sinful desires and yes to what God says? But we're not, we're not supposed, you're not supposed to tell anybody that in our culture. But in every encounter where Jesus asked people to follow him. He invited them to follow him. Jesus, I I can't find a place where Jesus says, I'm signing up to follow you. You be in charge. And every occasion, he tells people, you're going to have to lay down your life. You're going to have to lay down some of your desires. You're going to have to give up on some things that you want for you and trust that what I have is better for you. It's why a lot of people that attend church refuse to live with God as Lord God. You're just not going to deny your right to be you because of some words from a book a couple of thousand years ago. But on that day, they saw seven naked, bleeding brothers running down a street, and it hit them. They just got tore up in a spiritual battle because they were pretending to be something they weren't and they thought using the right language and doing the right thing was enough. It hit them. We've been playing games with Jesus' name. My faith, it's it's a game that I play. I say that I have it, but he's not Lord He's a genie and a bottler. He's a consultant that I consider his advice. And they went home on that day, and they got out their junk, and they brought it back. They didn't sell it. They didn't want anyone else to have it. 
They burned it. And $100,000 went up in smoke. Because this is going to cost you. Allowing God to be Lord of your life will cost you. But they said, we don't care. We're done playing games with church. We've seen what playing games can do. And it was a wake-up call to the, to the church in Ephesus. And then we come to Romans 13. Let's do Romans because we're supposed to be in Romans. Let's do it just for about two minutes. Romans 13. I wonder if all of that was on Paul's mind when the Spirit of God inspired him to write the end of chapter 13. Because in verse 11, hey, C3, we spent 25 weeks going through the book of Romans, week after week, seeing how much God loves us, week after week, seeing what God offers us, week after week with God saying, you don't deserve my love, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Week after week, God showing over and over and over again how much he wants to know you and be in relationship with you, a daily, intimate, personal relationship with a living God. 25 weeks. And Paul says, now it's time. And I wonder as he pins these words, if what happened in Ephesus was on his mind and he's thinking, man, what happened in Ephesus, I hope it happens in Rome. And I wonder, I wonder if the Spirit of God is thinking, man, what happened in Ephesus and began to happen in Rome, I hope it happens at C3 today. Verse 11, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Have you sort of become numb and kind of gone to sleep and maybe, maybe your spiritual life is occasionally sleepwalking to the vending machine, throwing the prayer up, or sleepwalking, considering the consultant and what he might have to say for your spiritual life? Have, have you been rocked to sleep through the lullaby of culture that says you be you and nobody knows the future better than you and nobody knows what will make you happy better than you? The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us believe decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves. Now, this is interesting. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. I don't think there's anything in the Bible that's accidental. Right here, verse 14 could say, rather close yourselves with Jesus Christ, but it doesn't. Rather close yourselves, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Your issue, your stagnancy, the lack of power in your life, the lack of presence of God in your life, the lack of the ripple effect of what the power of God in your life could do in your family and relationships and career and with your finances, the lack of you not living who God created you to be and what you could be, it could all come down to you got faith, but it's just not Lord. And you're living a kind of a faith, believing a lot of the right stuff. But you're still in charge of you. You still decide what you like and don't like. If you want to experience and have in your life the power of God, you want the Lord God. And you grow in power when you stop playing games with your faith. 
when you stop pretending that you can follow Jesus without following his teachings, it doesn't make sense. When you hold Christ in the highest honor, when you go all in, more power is available to you than you could ever imagine. So what, what would happen today if we did what they did on that day? What would happen if Jesus went home with you? If he said, hey, let, let me see what you watch. Let me see what you read. Let me see your, your laptops and your phones and your devices. Let, let's look at the history just for the past couple months and what you click on and what gets viewed. Let's go to your bank website or your financial website. What do you do with how I bless you? Let, let's look at the film. We'll put it on the, on the screen. Let's look at the last three months of your marriage or your singleness. I owe it to you to ask you. And you owe it to yourself to ask yourself and honestly answer. What in your life has to change for you to have more power? What is it that you know? Man, you believed, but now. As a follower of Jesus, you know there's this thing in my life that's not honoring to God. There's this area of my life where Christ's name is not held in high honor. There's an area of my life where I don't represent Jesus well to myself or my family or my friends. What is it that has to change for you? What do you need to go home today like they did on that day and deal with honestly and courageously that the you of five years from now would give a standing ovation to the you of today because you did something with what you heard. You didn't just hear it and go back to the life that lacked power. What needs to change? Because on that day, they stopped just coming to the lecture hall and they went home and they burned stuff and they made some changes. Today, I want to ask you to make a decision. In fact, I need to be honest. Every single person is going to make a decision in this room today. And for every single person, whatever you decide, it's going to cost you something. You get to decide, based on your decision, what the cost will be. Some of you are here and you would say, I'm, I'm content just going to the lecture hall. I'm, I'm okay with the vending machine because hopefully sometimes I'm going to get what I asked for. I'm okay for right now. Life's not horrible. I'm, I'm okay with God just being the consultant. There's some areas where I'm having a lot of fun, but there's some areas of my life that I know I would have to get rid of some things that aren't pleasing to God if I'm going to put him in first place over everything in my life. No, 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 no thanks. I'm, I'm not ready for that. That's going to cost me. And you can make that decision. And if you make that decision, I want you to know you're loved here. You're welcome here. But I want you to understand, those of you that make that decision, you will pay the highest price. You will pay the highest price, and it will be a price higher than you can even imagine because God, who deeply loves you so much that he invites you to call him Father, has never been wrong, 
And he, the creator of life, knows how to best live life. He, <laughs> he knows you better than you know you. And then there are others. You have to decide, am I done playing games with church? I want more of the power of God in my life. I want to see the Spirit of God working in my life. And honestly, He hasn't been Lord of my life. He's been Lord of my Sunday morning. But He's not Lord of my Monday afternoon or my marriage or my parenting or my relationships or my finances. I know Jesus, I've invited Him to come into my life, but he, he's, he's been more of a genie in a bottle or an eternal consultant And I want more than that. On that day, the church woke up. And they said, we're done playing games. And they grew in power. And what happened on that day can happen on this day. If you will do on this day what they did on that day. And if church won't just be an hour we spent here, but you'll go home and you'll honestly listen, 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 please. You owe it to yourself to do this. Honestly evaluate what kind of faith do you have. Is God the Lord of your life? And I've never met anybody who decided to say, okay, God, you be Lord. It's going to cost me. There's some things I have to give up. There's some things that will be inconvenient. There's some things I don't prefer. There's some things I want to do that I can't do. But ultimately, God, you're God and I'm not. And I'm going to trust that because you're God, you know what's best for me. Because you love me a lot enough to allow your son to die for me, you're trustworthy. Man, I want that for you. But it doesn't matter how much I want that for you. You've got to want it. You've got to pursue it. I can't do it for you, and neither can anyone else. Can you imagine? We're seeing God do some incredible things in the life of C3, but can you imagine if those of us that are Christ followers said, okay, you're Lord now. You're Lord. Can you imagine what would happen in our church, can, can, can you imagine? Man, look at what's happening now. Can you imagine what God would do? I want that for you. And parents, can you imagine how your family tree would be forever changed if you just made him Lord? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this moment. And I pray with everything in me, it's not just a moment that passes, but it'll be a moment that creates a momentum of pursuing you. And those of us in this room that are Christ followers, saying, man, we, we want the name of Jesus to be held in high honor in our lives. In every area of our lives, God, we want you to be Lord. And we want to live in a way that honors you and represents you well. And we appreciate your blessings, but God, we know we're blessed to be a blessing, and we ask you to use us to impact others to influence others and to help other people find the freedom that's found in a relationship with you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and you know that the greatest need of your life is to give your life to Jesus. Man, I, I can't think of a better day to do it. 
to know that you have a home in heaven, that your sins are forgiven, and that in this life you have the spirit of the living God who will increase in power as long as you follow him. He'll be there if you don't, but but following him, the power increases in your life and in your future. If you'd like to pray a simple prayer to invite Jesus to come into your life, man, I'd love to lead you in that prayer. You can pray it out loud, or you can pray it just in the quietness of the moment in your heart. But if you'd like today to be the day that Everything changes, and you know God in a personal way. Just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know that. Go ahead and text your name to 407-487-8311 and we would love to be praying for you. And hey, we just wanted to say thank you so much for your faithful generosity. If you're looking for more ways to give, go ahead and visit giveC3.cc and there you have several options to give. And if you're in the Central Florida area, we would love to see you here on Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Come join us and we would love to see you here. And And don't forget to subscribe.